0: Well, welcome to each and every one of you uh, to Faith Lutheran Church this morning. My name is John. Uh, I'm one of the lay worship leaders here, and uh, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be speaking with you and offering God's Word to you this morning. And we offer a special welcome to all of those who might be joining us online this morning. And um, if you've got your Bible with you, um, I'll just invite you to turn to the New Testament. We're going to bounce around through the Gospels this morning and um i'm going to try not to make your head spin but right now it's a little tough to tell you where to start but we're going to park ultimately our longest readings are going to be in mark chapter 10 and and uh, i'm sorry mark chapter 14 and john chapter 10 so if you want to put a bookmark or a thumbnail in there you can park those we're going to get to those later we're going to talk a little bit first and we're actually going to hit some other scripture readings before we get to that point um uh, but fear not. We're going to get to those two scriptures eventually, so just bear with me and we will get there. Now today, we're completing our sermon series on counterfeit, the heresies or false teachings that are talked about uh, in, the, in the Christian church. Now the word heresy um, can conjure up a lot of images in people's minds. Whenever I hear that word, it sounds very extreme, right? I immediately go to the word heretic That takes me to the word lunatic. I think about lunacy. I think about blasphemy. Heresy sounds like a really, really horrible thing. And it also sounds like a very, very obvious thing. You know a lunatic when you see one. You know a blasphemer when you see one. You don't necessarily, though, know a heretic when you see one. And and that's one of the things that we've learned over these past six weeks is that while heresy sounds like one of these big words that would be obvious when you see it, what we've learned is that some of these heresies that we've talked about are actually pretty subtle. They're just based on truths and things that we come to all know and accept in Scripture, but then they just twist a little piece and leave us thinking, hmm, I never thought of that. Maybe that could be true. So they're all based on what we know and believe to be true, but then they just take off one angle a little bit. Jeff Pitzer preached last week, and he talked about if you get off by just one degree, and you head off in one direction, you get a couple miles out, you're still pretty close to where you started. But you start getting 100, 200, 300, even a thousand miles out, suddenly you're nowhere close to where you wanted to be. And that's the problem with these heresies: is that they seem like okay, I, I can maybe go with you on that. But then um, you get a little further down the line, and you realize that they're um, that they're, they're not really close to biblically accurate at all. And what makes it worse is that some of these heresies are actually taught and professed by clergy in mainline denominational churches. And these are people that we trust and respect and believe, and rightfully so, because of their spiritual authority over us. So it's easy to see how we could just be completely oblivious to the idea that we hear these heresies and we accept them to be true, when in reality, they are absolutely and completely false. So for those of you who are visiting us for the first time today, or maybe have missed a week in this sermon series, I just want to remind you that all of these sermons are online on our website in both audio and video format, and you can go ahead and visit the site and download those sermons and listen to them and catch up on what we were at, but I do want to start today with just a brief recap of some of the heresies that we've covered up to this point, since this is going to wrap up our sermon series. So we started with the sermon, or the the heresy of Pelagianism, which is a big, big word. Um, And that is just the belief that God's grace is not really totally sufficient for us. That in addition to the grace provided by Jesus through his sacrifice and death and resurrection, That we also need to do good works to help push ourselves across the finish line. And that the more good works we do, um, the better um, chance we're going to have of actually receiving salvation. That was week one. And then the second week we learned about antinomianism, which is another really big word. And it actually means just about the complete opposite of that. That means that God's grace is totally sufficient for us and because we're all saved by God's grace and God's grace alone, we can just do whatever we want to do and never have to worry about paying the consequences for that. So grace covers all, we get to get out of jail free card and we can just do whatever. False and we covered that. We then learned about the open canon heresy which is some of the religions out there, such as Mormonism, that in addition to the Bible, use other texts to enhance what was written in Scripture. And we talked about some of the problems that come about with with open canon heresy. And then we talked about docetism. That was the fourth one that we covered. And that's this idea that while Jesus is absolutely divine and God, they take odds with the fact that Jesus was actually human. That his physical body was not a true physical body. It was more an apparition that we perceived as a physical body. And therefore, when he died, there really wasn't the pain and sacrifice that we would feel if we were tortured and crucified like he was. And we learned why that was not good. And then two weeks ago, we learned about the prosperity gospel. This heresy or belief that God will bless those who are strong in their faith. That God will reward our faithfulness with increases in our health and our wealth and our well-being. And we talked about why that is not true. And then last week, Jeff talked about this universal salvation heresy. This idea that since God created each and every one of us and loves each and every one of us, surely he will just save each and every one of us, regardless of what our beliefs are, regardless of what our relationship is with him. And all of these relationships have a couple of things in common. One is that they're all based in some level of truth, and they all appeal to our human desires, and they're all seemingly very reasonable things to have. But the other thing that they all have in common is that they're all completely false when you stack them up against the Holy Bible. And so today we're going to talk about our final heresy in this series, And that's the wise teacher heresy. That's this idea that Jesus was a wise teacher or a great prophet, but he wasn't really the son of God. Okay, that's the wise teacher heresy. And before we get into that, why don't you just join me real quick for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for exposing these false teachings to us and revealing your truth to us through the gift of your holy word. As we learn more about you this morning, may the words I speak and the meditations of all of our hearts be true to your word and bring honor and glory to you and help us develop a greater understanding of both you and your will for our lives. Amen. Well, about 15 years ago, I was going through a period of spiritual awakening in my life. I've been a Christian in my entire life, um, but I'd kind of come to an awareness of how shallow my faith had been up until that point. And um, I'd made a decision that I was going to, you know, dig deeper into my faith, dig deeper into scripture, learn more about the foundation of my faith, be more vocal about my faith, and listen to other people about their faith. So that I could really, really get down to the bottom of where my faith was really coming from. Now around this time, I went out to lunch with a group of my friends from work. And we were talking, and we'd been friends for several years. And so we talked about all kinds of things. We talked about our families and personal relationships and things like that. And on this particular day, we got into the topic of religion. And one of my friends in the group, who I knew to be Jewish, just casually mentioned that her husband was Catholic. Well, for somebody who just decided he's going to be more vocal about his faith, that was an opportunity that was too good to pass up. So I asked her, I'm like, "How does that work?" And yeah, right? I decided to be more vocal. I didn't decide to be more graceful or tactful. I just came out and said, "How does that work?" And she goes, "Well, how does that what work?" I'm like, "The Jewish Catholic thing. How does that work?" And she says, "Well, what do you mean?" I'm like, well, your beliefs about Jesus and your husband's beliefs about Jesus. I mean, how do you you two come together on that? And she says, oh. She goes, I believe Jesus was a really great prophet. I just don't believe he was the son of God. And I searched really quick in my brain for a witty comeback, and here's what I came back with. Huh. (laughs) That was it. That's what I had. I didn't know what to say. I was going through, you know, feeling so good and confident, asking her these questions and getting getting this conversation going. And then when she basically quoted to me this heresy, wise teacher heresy, almost word for word, the textbook definition, Jesus is a great prophet, but he's not the son of God. And as soon as she said that, I had nothing to say. I was completely dumbfounded. So I just let the conversation die and move on. And we went to lunch. And the problem is, God was not willing to let the conversation die and move on while we went to lunch. And so I sat through the rest of our lunch hour chastising myself for not saying anything. And racking my brain trying to think of what I could say, how I could reignite this conversation and come back and say something. Not that I even knew what to say, but say something, right? So. As we're wrapping up our lunch and we're heading back into work, and it's just now me and this gal, the rest of the group is kind of dispersed a little bit, but we're walking back to our desk, and I said, hey, I'd like to ask you a question about the, 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 the Jesus thing, the great prophet, uh, but, but not son of God thing. And she says, yeah. And I said, I said, don't all prophets tell the truth? I mean, aren't they sent by God to give a message of truth? And she said, yes. Yes. And I said, well, didn't Jesus say somewhere in the Bible that he was the son of God? And if he's a prophet and he said he was the son of God, wouldn't that have to be true? And now it was her turn to be silent. And it was a very weak and feeble attempt on my part to try to make the point that I should have boldly proclaimed earlier in the conversation. But it was all I could do. And all I could do was hope that her silence meant I had given her something to think about while we went about the rest of our day. Now, the, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't think of what to say. And, and, and the, I kind of racked my brain on that to try to determine why. And I really started thinking about it. And it's like when, when you get down to it in the Bible and you're reading the New Testament, Jesus can be pretty coy about who he is in the New Testament, right? I mean, he calls God his father, but then so do I, and so do you, and so do so many other Christians that we know, right? He acknowledged that he was the Messiah when people called him the Messiah, and he said, you're correct. But Messiah means anointed one, and that's a title that could be given to kings or priests or prophets, That's not necessarily a title that would be reserved for the Son of God. Some of the other ways that Jesus describes himself in the Old Testament, and I wrote them down. He called himself the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the gate for the sheep, and the true vine, and the way, and the truth, and the life, just to name a few. But I never recalled or hearing anything in the Bible where Jesus said, hey, morons, I'm God, or I'm the son of God. And for a Christian like me, who's very weak in his faith and very casual up to that point in my Bible reading, that's the kind of message I need from Jesus to really spell it out to me that he's the son of God. And without that kind of proof or foundation, I really found that I had nothing to say to her. But if I'm honest, I also had to admit that I was pretty happy with her answer. Right? I mean, I'm not an idiot. I didn't expect a Jewish person to say that Jesus was the son of God. So I wasn't surprised when she said that Jesus wasn't the son of God. And I felt that most Jewish people probably considered Jesus to be a blasphemous, crazy person. So here my Jewish friend was saying, hey, he was a great prophet. Well, that sounded like a pretty good compromise to me, if I had to be honest, because she wasn't defaming him as blasphemous and crazy. She was saying he was actually pretty wonderful, and so that sounded pretty good. But the other thing I have to acknowledge about that moment in time is that I was also scared. I was afraid to say anything. It wasn't just that I didn't have any support, and it wasn't just that I liked her answer, I was afraid to get into a conversation and get in over my head where I didn't know what I was talking about and I would make a fool of myself. That old saying about better to stay quiet and be thought a fool than open your mouth and end all doubt, that was ringing in my ears. I did not want to make a fool of myself. And I also didn't want to create trouble. Right, we'd already ventured into a conversation that's kind of a no-no to talk about at work, right? You don't talk about religion at work. This is 15 years ago, right? There are a couple of things you don't talk about at work, religion and politics. Today, you don't talk about anything or you get canceled or whatever happens. But back then, there were just a few and we were deep into one of them and I did not want to blow up our conversation and create a problem at work. So I just shrugged and let it move on. But again, as I mentioned, God would not let me do that. And and in the end, I could just kind of resurrect the conversation with a feeble little attempt to say, Hey, doesn't that kind of contradict something in the Bible? And she, she said nothing, and we both went back to work. So why does it matter? Why is it important to talk to somebody about this? Why wouldn't God let me just finish my lunch in peace and go back to work? Why is it important to know that Jesus is not just a prophet or a wise teacher, but is actually the Son of God? And it's important because only God has the power to forgive sins. And if Jesus is not the son of God, we have no path to salvation and no relationship with God himself. If he's just a wise teacher, great. He had cool things to say and we could model his life and we still would be better for it, but we wouldn't necessarily have received our salvation and have a relationship with God. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 verse 6 that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So if we don't truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and only by his grace and sacrifice that we're saved, then we won't be saved at all. And if we don't follow his command to go and make disciples of all nations preaching the truth to them, then others won't be saved either. You see, we're engaged in a spiritual war we really are engaged in a spiritual war. And even though I believe Satan truly is completely powerless over us, he does have a couple of tools at his disposal that can neutralize us and take us out of the fight. And here they are. There's three things that, that Satan can do. I'm just going to roll them off really quick. He can encourage us to be lazy and apathetic so that we don't bother learning what the truth is. And that's where I'd spent the first 35 years of my Christian life. Discipleship, just lounging around, not really digging into it. So I didn't really know what the truth was. He can convince us to question what we already know to be true. That's the second thing. You go back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, and Satan just says, Did God really say, don't eat from that tree? He knew that to be true, and he knew that they knew that to be true. But if he can get us to question what we already know to be true, He can take us out of the equation and neutralize us. And the third thing that he can do is he can convince us to stay quiet when we come across someone that we know is saying something that is false. So he can get us to not know the truth. He can get us to question the truth. And he can just get us to stay mute when someone else is speaking something that we know not to be true. And during that conversation with my friend, I checked Every box. Didn't know what I was talking about. Kind of thought what she said was making a little bit of sense. And then I was afraid to say anything. But if we allow ourselves to continue checking these three boxes, Christianity is going to be in big trouble. It'll only take a couple of generations until the gospel of Jesus becomes foreign to just about everybody. Unheard of or unspoken by anyone in its unadulterated form. And that's why it's important to not just share the gospel, but also to speak up when others are speaking against it. False teachings have a way of becoming truth if they get to linger long enough. You give them enough time and enough repetition, they become true. And my Jewish friend is not alone in her thinking. Thomas Jefferson, who we have brought up once before in this sermon series of heresies, was a regular attender of and financial supporter of Christian churches. But he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And a number of religions, including um, Buddhism and Islam, do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's just to name a few. They all contend that Jesus is a prophet, but they deny that he's the Son of God. And if they're the ones speaking out and we're not, What do we think will happen over the course of time? So we have to be willing to speak out about our faith and also against false truths. And to do that, it's important to know, really know what we believe and also know why we believe it. And that's why it's so exciting that we're reading the Bible together as a congregation this year. And I encourage each and every one of you to continue on with that. Even if it takes longer than a year, if you fall behind and you got to keep rolling and it takes longer than a year, please just go ahead and keep reading it. Some of us are reading the Bible for the first time in our lives this year. And as soon as we're done reading it for the first time, I'd encourage you to go back and read it again, slowly this time, to study it and really unpack it and dig into it so that you really know what it says Not just, I heard that somewhere. That's where I was at with my friend. Didn't Jesus say somewhere? the But then you can say, no. Right in the moment, Jesus said he was the son of God. He can't be a prophet and lie about being the son of God at the same time. You just need to rethink that a little bit. But if you don't know that, you can't say that. Now, you don't need to memorize chapter and verse and be able to croak that back at people. There's a lot of heretics out there who can quote chapter and verse, right? They can slice and dice the Bible up. And you can offer up any chapter and verse out of the Bible without any context. And you can get to say anything you want it to say. But if you know what the Bible says, just know it. Not necessarily even knowing exactly where it said, but just know what it says. You can speak up when you're called to do so. Now I've had a lot of time to study and reflect on the Bible since that day with my friend 15 years ago. And there are dozens of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that are fulfilled about, with the life and death of Jesus Christ. And some Bible scholars will tell you there are literally hundreds of them when you really get into some of the prophets. And of course the New Testament is full of miracles and teachings of Jesus that leave very little room to doubt that he is God. But even if we look no further than the direct statements about Jesus in just the four Gospels of the New Testament, there are a number of instances that just indicate without a doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. Now I offer these this morning just for our own individual study so that we can be bold in our belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that we can know Why? And where we can find this stuff in the Bible. We can find these assurances. I always get a little kick out of Christians who try to use the Bible and quote the Bible to non-believers to try to get them to believe. They're not believers. So they don't believe the Bible either. And they don't believe anything you quote out of it. So you can't go quoting the Bible to non-believers. They're not going to buy it. But we want to know what's in the Bible. So the way to convert somebody is to live a life that reflects Jesus to other people. And when they want to see and have a life like you have, we can explain Jesus to them. But knowing this Bible is for our own benefit as Christians so that we can really believe where our faith comes from and speak confidently to others when the opportunity arises. So with that, here are four justifications in the Bible that can assure us that Jesus is the Son of God. These are in chronological order, but they're going to hop around in the Bible a little bit. So don't try to follow with me in the Bible just yet. Just kind of listen and soak these in. And the first one is this. The angels foretold it. So before Jesus was even born, Jesus held the title of the Son of God. In Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 32, the angel Gabriel tells Mary about the birth of Jesus saying this. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. A verse later, Gabriel says to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So before Jesus is even born, he has that title. Now the second instance in the Bible, again, we're kind of going chronologically here, is God declared it. God himself declared it. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, just as he was getting ready to begin his ministry, God professed his love for his son Jesus. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So this revelation that Jesus is the Son of God is repeated in all four of the Gospels during Jesus' baptism. It's recounted in all four of them. You can find it also in Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 and John chapter 1. And in the Gospel of John, it's actually recorded as a personal testimony of John the Baptist. It's interesting to read because he says, I'm telling you, this is what I I heard and what I saw. And so it's written a little differently in the Gospel of John. But this public display of God's love for his son and acknowledgement that Jesus is God's son is repeated almost word for word during the transfiguration, right? Right? In Matthew 17, Jesus has just been transfigured and Moses and Elijah have shown up and Peter's blathering on and on about building some shelters, right? And there's bright light and everything else. And, and then verse five, it says this. While he, meaning Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. So God declared it to be true. The third justification for why Jesus is the son of God found in the Bible as spoken is that Satan knew it to be true too. Right after Jesus' baptism, Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And in two of the three temptations that Satan provides on him, it says this in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus was hungry, Satan approached him and said, if, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And later on in verse 3, he took Jesus to the highest point of the temple and he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down and God's angels will come in and rescue you and protect you. Satan uses the things that he knows to be true to get us to be tempted and commit sin. But Satan's minions knew this as well. So during Jesus' ministry, he had a number of opportunities to cast out demons, and many of them would identify him as the Son of God. Luke chapter 4 says, At sunset, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Because they knew he was the Messiah. Matthew chapter 8 recounts the story of two demon-possessed men that Jesus healed. And he sent the demons into a herd of pigs. Do you remember that? The herd of pigs then ran off the cliff. But as Jesus approached the two men, the demons shouted, What do you want with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? So Satan knew it. His minions knew it. Jesus is the Son of God. And the fourth justification that I want to offer today from the New Testament Gospels about Jesus being the Son of God is that Jesus actually said it. This would have been the scripture I was hunting for when I was having the conversation with my friend, but I didn't have it. Lamb of God, light of the world, true vine, we're, we're the Son of God. And if you want to shoot down the wise teacher heresy, that's what you need. You need the words that come right out of Jesus' own mouth. Because you can't be a prophet and a liar at the same time. Can't be done. So the wise teacher heresy is just shot. If you can quote Jesus to say that he's the son of God. So now, if you'd like to join me, if if your fingers haven't fallen asleep or you've been pinching the Bible shut, please join me in John chapter 10. We're going to read verses 22 to 33 together, and then we're going to hop right into Mark chapter 14. So John chapter 10, verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. These are people after my own heart. Just come out and say it, man. Don't, 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 no, no, Lamb of God, light of the world. Tell us. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. He said it. I and the father are one. There it is. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So he said it, they heard it. You can't be a prophet and a liar at the same time. There it is. Turning to Mark chapter 14, this is Jesus before the Sanhedrin, right? He's on trial, kind of a mocked up trial before his crucifixion. And in verse 55, it says, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say... I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah? the son of the blessed one i am said jesus and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven so jesus tells us directly in these texts that he is both god and the son of god and in addition to the miracles he offered and performed, and the forgiveness that he offered to us, and the godly life he modeled, he actually came right out and said, I am God, and I am the Son of God. That's why he's not just a wise teacher or a prophet. He certainly is those things, but he's so much more. And I'd like to close this morning real briefly with an excerpt from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. I don't know if any of you have ever read Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis was one of the most influential Christian apologists of his time. And he's widely known for authoring the books for the Chronicle of Narnia, right? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and on and on they go. And so they became movies and and they're great books and everybody knows that. But what is not widely known necessarily about C.S. Lewis is that he was an atheist who didn't return to Christianity until the age of 33. And so he wrote mere Christianity so that believers and non-believers both could kind of have a rational case for Christianity and the Christian faith. And he has this to say about the wise teacher heresy. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. And that is that I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God That is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg. C.S. Lewis has a great way of putting things. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman. Or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Prophets speak the truth. And when a prophet states that he's the son of God, then that is what he is. And that's good news for each and every one of us because it means the faith that we place in Jesus for our salvation is very well founded indeed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your son, Jesus. Your son, Jesus, Jesus a wise teacher to be sure, a prophet offering messages of truth to be sure, a model of the life that you would have us live to be sure. But most importantly, your son, you in human form, we give you thanks, dear Lord, for the grace that you show us, the way that you pursue us, the sacrifice that your son Jesus made on our behalf so that we would not only know how you want us to live, we would not only know who you are, but so that we can be in true relationship with you, not just now, but forever in all eternity. Dear Lord, we thank you for this blessing and so many more. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.